But Kingdom Youth Conference is making a difference in young people's lives. And they do it week in and week out. They don't go to every single city. They have an opportunity, and I'm sure Ryan will explain more of that to you. But I want you to give a great welcome to our friend, my friend, Ryan. Good morning. It's good to be back here. You guys are like family now. No, it's awesome. We've been uh, doing Kingdom Youth Conference now for, this is our seventh year. And um, we've seen God do some crazy things throughout the country. We were going to keep track of salvations and all that kind of stuff so we could let people know. And uh, we started in 2016. And then 2018, it was about uh, 4,500 students have come to Christ for the first time. And then we lost track. So <laughs> I don't know, but God's been doing some powerful things um, in this youth and in this generation. Um, I just feel like there's a revival coming through the country. And um, you see stuff stirring up. And I, we've seen it every year at uh, Kingdom Youth Conference where students are just broken before God and just catching fire. But I do want to say this. What happened this weekend is powerful. It was awesome. It was incredible. But it was just the beginning. So if you guys are waiting for next year for Kingdom Youth, you've missed the boat. Like your students, it, Kingdom Youth is just a, a fire starter. Um, discipleship is where it really is. And it takes you guys pouring into the youth that had that fire. Like if they lose their fire in a few weeks and the church didn't pour into them and, and begin to disciple them, then we've kind of missed it. Uh, you guys had, what was it last year? Six, seven kids that came last year? This year you had like 25 kids that came. There's something happening in your church. Next year I'm believing for 50. All right. We can start something here in the church. We don't have to wait for revival. We're the revival. Jesus came 2,000 years ago as the revival. Amen. All right. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit today because I was actually talking with our uh, students, our, our interns at the probably November, December, about new themes. And I talked about revival now as a theme. And I just felt like something was going to happen in, in 2023 and that God was going to do something big. And now it's just a catchphrase over the last few weeks. You've seen it happening all over in different colleges. And we've been teaching on revival and what that is. And, and now it's just a catchphrase. But don't miss what God's actually trying to do. Don't miss what's going to happen. And I want to read some scripture today. And I want to show you a few things on this topic. Um, go into uh, Isaiah 43 really quick. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. When you're there, say amen. Got it. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says this. Do not remember the former things, nor consider things of old. Behold, I do new thing. Now it shall come, uh, shall spring forth, shall you not know it. I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the deserts. Don't, don't look at the old things and the, the, the past and stuff, but God's doing a new thing. Um, we just got through Christmas, the holidays, and then New Year's. I love both the holidays. You get to spend time with family. You've got all these traditions. And then the New Year's where you all make resolutions on how you're going to better yourself this year. So if you go to the gym, you realize that uh, January 1st through January 7th, you don't go to the gym because it's going to be packed with new people. You can go on the 8th because they're all gone by then. So... 
Uh, this year, I didn't want to be a hypocrite, so I got my gym membership in November, and I quit before December. So I thought, I know more of this resolution than not making it. I'll quit away before then. Um, but that's actually a true statement. Um, but honestly, we've got all these traditions. And for you guys, think back on the holidays and Christmas and all this stuff. Like for me, growing up, I had my family's traditions, right? And then your wife, she has their family's traditions. And then you get married, you try to create your own traditions while making your family's traditions. And it's nothing but chaos for the holidays. <laughs> so this year, we decided to do something different. Um, I called my parents. I'm like, hey, instead of coming home for Christmas, and uh, obviously right there, you know, I got shunned. I said, let's all go to Gatlinburg, Tennessee for Christmas. We'll get a nice cabin. We'll spend time in the snow. We, so we did. We went there. My sister and her family came. My parents came. We got this great cabin. We went to the aquarium there. We went on all the attractions. We had gifts there. Um, it was a great time. And everybody said, it didn't feel like Christmas. <laughs> Well, what do we do at Christmas time? We sit on the couch, have popcorn, and watch Christmas movies, right? And now you go to this epic adventure in the mountains, and that was disappointing. Why? Because it was different. It, was, it wasn't what it was before. And we are people of habit. We are people that don't like change. In fact, when I was going to preach this message in Minnesota... We've all got our traditions. We've all got our stuff. I love t uh, Texas because you're going to have a chili cook-off once a year. But I'm from Minnesota where we're going to have a potluck and lutefisk. So it's a little bit different. I can't say I like that one better. <laughs> but we all have our traditions of what we do and what we're used to. And that can sometimes be a problem. Traditions aren't all bad. In fact, there's some traditions that are great. A chili cook-off is a good thing might not be a biblical thing. It might be in Hebrew somewhere. But, but there's some things that we do, but if we put that above what God's trying to do, then, there, then there's a problem. And I, was gonna, I went to Minnesota to preach this message because I felt like God was saying, this is coming. It's coming. Prepare the people. Revival's coming. Prepare people. And I was giving an illustration of how we like to, uh, we just are habits of the same thing. How many of you go to this church almost every Sunday? How many of you sit in the spot that you're at right now? <laughs> I went to this church in Minnesota to preach this message, and I was going to use that as an illustration. I decided not to, because I walked in, and I put my coat down in the back, and I sat down for a little bit, and the pastor came to me and said, hey, can I talk to you? Let's just pray for a little bit. I said, okay. So I set my stuff all there on the chair, and we went and prayed. I came back, and there's a couple there, and I sit sit down in the pastor's like, will you sit with me in the front? And I said, absolutely. So I start to get my stuff and a whole family starts to sit up a little bit. They look at me. They sit up a little bit. They look at me. And I'm like, is this your spot? And they're like, well, we just always sit there. <laughs> I'm like, well, I won't use that as an example this morning for them then. But it was funny because they just stared at my stuff waiting for me to move it so they could get in their spot. <laughs> We're people of habit. Sometimes it's, it's good things, but not often. Sometimes it's not. You know that Jesus only had problems with people that were the religious people, the Pharisees, the Christians of the time saying, that's not how we used to do things. 
That's not how we used to do things. And I'm telling you, if revival's going to come, there needs to be a generation that says that that's not how we used to do things, but say, God, what do you want to do? God, what, what do you want to do that's a new thing in this season? Because we're people of habit, and we can look at a younger generation, even when we do the conferences, and sometimes the older people be like, what are they doing? That's not how we used to do things. Even the Jesus Revolution movie that we're promoting, make sure everybody grabs a t-shirt because I don't want to pack them in the bus. Um, take them, they're free. They're the yellow ones out there. Um, but in this movie, it's the same thing back in the 60s and 70s. It's the older generation saying, that's not how we used to do things. And these hippies were, nobody wanted to accept them. Nobody wanted them in their church because they smelled different. They looked different. They didn't act right. They weren't acting like Christians. And they said, they had this board meeting, and they said, we can't have them in our church. They're going to mess up the carpet. And so the scene in the movie, it's a true story, there's a line out the door, and the pastor was washing everyone's feet before they came in so they wouldn't mess up the carpet. You see, we can sit back and we say, that's not how we do things here. Or we can say, God, what do you want to do? God, what do you want to do? I went to this uh, denominational setting, um, and one of the pastors there was my friends. And so we were joking around a little bit, but they had this... Uh, uh, I guess you'd call it a wooden stand that came up into, it looked like a nice altar, and in the middle was a bowl of water. You probably know where I'm going. And I'm joking around with him. I said, what is that? And I knew what it was, and he's like, oh, that's the baptismal. I'm like, there's no way I'm fitting in that bowl of water. <laughs> and uh, he's like, no, that's not what it's for. I'm like, what's it for then? He's like, you know, get in it. We just, you just sprinkle the babies for salvation. I'm like, sprinkle the babies for salvation. I'm like, let's get a super soaker and get them all saved then. And he's like, no, that's not how it works. I said, I know. I'm just joking with you. I said this. I said, let me just uh, push you a little bit. I said, you've got this here. Jesus didn't do it that way. The disciples didn't do that, it that way. It doesn't tell us to do it that way in the Bible. Why do you, why do some churches do it this way? And he stopped and he looked at me and he's like, I don't know. He said, I've never thought about it. We've just always done it that way. I heard this story of uh, this girl at uh, Christmas, and she was going to help her mom with uh, the meal. And so they were going to make a ham. And she said, okay, what you do here? And they put the seasoning on it. They did all this stuff. They got the oven ready. They preheated it. They got the big uh, pan out there. And then they took the ham, and they cut the two edges off the ham, put it in, popped it in the oven. And the girl looks at uh, her mom and says, why do we cut the edges off um, the ham? And she said, actually, you're going to have to ask your grandma on that. She told me how to do this. And uh, she went to grandma and said, hey, grandma, I was just helping mom with uh, dinner. Why do we cut the edges off of the ham? And she said, actually, you got to ask great-grandma. Uh, she's the one that showed me how to do it. And uh, she went up to great-grandma. She's like, great-grandma, why do we cut the edges off the ham? And she said, because it wouldn't fit in the pan. <laughs> There's some things in church that's tradition that we've just done because we've always done it. Because sometimes when we get saved, we take on the traditions of whoever led us to Jesus, right? Whatever church, whatever denomination is. But that could be great things or it could not be. But don't let that get in the way of what God's trying to do. If Don't let the word of God is the number one. And that's the most important. And what God is trying to do... Let that be number one. Now, I'm going to do something excellent for you guys that you all love. Let's go back into the Christmas story. 
no, we just got out of that for months. Go into Luke really quick, and I want to show you something. Luke 2, uh, 8 through 20. It says this. Now there were in the same country, everybody say same country, shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over the flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord uh, stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born this day in the, uh, the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly uh, there was a, a great multitude of angels and heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God, uh, highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. Uh, so it was that the angels had gone away into the heavens, and the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go down to Bethlehem and see the, what has come to pass, um, which the Lord has made known to us. I'm going to stop there for a second. I want you guys to look at this for a second because in Scripture, this is, this is a bigger story than we can imagine. You see, uh, many people in Christianity, they think that God's trying to get them. We serve an angry God. He's a God that's trying to get... Let me tell you this. God is not an angry God. He's not upset. He's not having a bad day. And he's a very good shot. If he would have want you got, you'd have been gotten by now. Right? He's a good God. And if you think that God is after you and trying to get you for something that you've done, you've missed what the angels said, that peace on earth and goodwill towards men. You make them a liar when you think that. Why? This is something that was huge. This is where it changed. If you look around the earth right, right now, there's not peace on earth. So what is this talking about? It's got to be something different. Because the angels here, God's not lying. When he says peace on earth, he's not talking about from country to country in a fallen world. He's talking from heaven to earth. He's talking about, he's not angry at you anymore. Why? Because peace on earth is now here. There it is. It's peace. It's laying in a manger. It's the blood of Jesus. He's laying right there. Goodwill towards men now. Why? Because I'm not looking at you anymore. I'm looking at him. And if you have Jesus in your life and the blood of Jesus over you, he was doing something new. Now I want to say this. When the angels showed up to the shepherds in the field, this wasn't an instance of God saying, hey, I'm going to send my son down there. There he is. He's born. The angels got all excited and they're like, we have to tell somebody. I can't wait. I'm going to tell the first person. So I'm going to go find some farmers. I'm going to go find somebody watching a sheep. And the first person that I see, no, this was very intentional. He told the shepherds first for a reason. You see, you guys said it from the beginning, in that same country, in that same area, this was Bethlehem. This is where um, they had to come back because this was the capital. They had to go and they had to uh, take account for, uh, be registered. They had to pay taxes there. They also had to go there once a year and make sacrifices for their sins. So this field wasn't just a field. You can go there now, still today, and see this field where the shepherds were. This wasn't a field like David where I'm going to go watch my dad's sheep. This was a field and there was multiple shepherds, lots of shepherds. Why? Because this wasn't just somebody's sheep. This was the sheep that were going to be sacrificed. These were the shepherds that were raising the sheep that had to be perfect and holy. This was their job to watch these sheep 
because they were going to come and they were going to sacrifice these sheep for everybody's sins. The angels came there first because they said, you're about to be out of a job. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. You don't have to watch these baby sheep anymore to be slaughtered. He's right there laying in a manger. This is huge. It wasn't just by accident. God said, I'm going to do something new. The shepherds said, no, Lord, we've always done it this way. Line up the sheep, right? The Pharisees did that all the time. Oh, no, Lord, that's not how we do it. Even Peter did that all the time. Here, kill and eat. No, Lord, <laughs> that's not how we do things. No, if God's saying, I'm going to do something new, I want to be on board with that. I want to be on board with that. You know, here's a side note. This is free. This isn't, if you're taking notes, you don't have to take this note. This won't be in the test after. But also, these sheep, they had to be perfect because it represented Jesus. So they would inspect them, and when they would find a sheep, and they would check it all out, and then they would wrap it in swaddling clothes. Pretty interesting. Anyways, this is a powerful story of God saying that I'm going to do something new. You remember in 1 Corinthians when uh, Paul was talking, and he said this. He said, some of you say, I'm of Paul. Others say, I'm a Paulus. I'm a Cephas. And some of you say, I'm of Jesus, right? What was he saying? He was a, the pastor. He's an apostle. So he'd go and plants churches everywhere. So Paul would come into an area, and he would teach for a long time. And then he would establish a church and move to the next city. So what he was saying there is people were complaining and arguing. Why? Because it was something different. Paul came in and established a church in Corinthians, and then people said, you know, I'm of Paul. And then Apollos came in who was opposite of Paul. If you read scripture, he said he was very well, uh, very well of speech. He was very well-rounded. He could talk with eloquency. He was very good at speaking. Paul, not so much. <laughs> Paul was really blunt and to the point. <laughs> he would say stuff like, man, if you're thinking it's circumcision or not, I just wish you'd go all the way. What kind of a pastor would get up there and say that on a Sunday morning? Like most people would be walking out. But he had a way of speaking that was blunt to the point. It was like, either get right or get left. And then you get somebody else that comes in there who preaches such great messages. And they do stuff. And then Cephas comes in. He does the same thing. And people are saying, well, I like this style better. No, I like his style better. And they're all preaching. Well, no, I don't like any style. I'm just of Jesus. Right? You got those holier-than-thou kind of people. Why? They were all preaching about Jesus, but why did he add end of Jesus? Because we still have those people today. Well, I don't need to go to the church. I don't need to go to church. I, I'm just, I'm of Jesus. I'm with relationship with him. I don't need the church. I don't need this preaching style or that preaching. I just, I love him. I've got relationship with him. Great. Well, then go be a sheep off in the wolves' den by yourself. See how you do. Right? You need the church. You need the body. And you had people coming into the older generations and saying, well, I like the way that Paul did it. And it can split the church when God's trying to do something new. It could be in this church. We were talking about, you know, you guys had Pastor Albert and then Pastor Scott comes and then Pastor John comes. Well, you can go back and forth and say, well, that's not how he used to do it. I don't know what. Or you can get on board with what God's doing now and get into it and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? So what are a couple things this is going to really bless you. What are a couple of things that will stop revival? 
Because we all hopefully agree that God's trying to do something. He's, he's not just trying to do something in Asbury, in Kentucky. That's not where God has decided revival is going to be and it needs to stay there. It's not going to be just this weekend for kingdom youth. Like, wow, that was great. I wish I was there for the youth conference. No, what is God trying to do in your life right now? Don't miss it. Don't miss it. And what is something that could stop it? Did you know that the enemy of great is not evil or bad? The enemy of great is good. Why? Because if it's bad, you'll be uncomfortable and you'll change and move. You'll, you'll get out of that spot. But good is a spot where everybody is comfortable sitting. Good is a spot where God takes you out of slavery into the desert and you're drinking water from a rock and you're picking up food off of the ground and saying, what is this? <laughs> this is manna. What is it? Well, it's here every day. Okay. Well, there's a land flowing of milk and honey. No, we look like grasshoppers. We can't go in there. Yeah, but that's great. That's your promised land. That's what I have for you. No, our needs are being met here. It's okay here. You know, you'll move out of slavery, but you won't move out of what's good to take the great. And God has something great for all of us. He has something more. He has revival for your family. He has increase for your family. He has health for your family. He has something. It, but we can't move into the spot of great until we get past the good and say, I, I'm, I don't want to settle for just my needs being met today. I want my needs being met above and beyond so I can be a blessing to others. Right? Well, I can just afford to pay my bills. Praise God. But how about I can afford to pay my bills and help somebody else out too now? I can pay my bills and bless the church. I can sow into missions. I can sow into the youth group. Uh, being in that spot of going from, I, I'm just here to, my God shall supply all of my needs, not according to my needs, but according to his riches and glory. Amen. That's above and beyond. That's into the promised land. That's something bigger and better. So the first spot is being content. And I think as Christians, we should never, ever be content while we have breath in our lungs. I don't think we should ever, now don't hear me wrong, we should never be uh, dissatisfied. Enjoy the moment that you're in. Enjoy where God has you, but always, there's always more with him. God is never in this lifetime going to tell you you've arrived. <laughs> right? Except for John. He'll tell John that, but especially after this weekend, you got saved. But God always has something more for you. I remember going to uh, Andrew Womack's uh, ministry. We did a youth conference out there. And um, I was believing for a building and just some little things with kingdom. Very small. And uh, he's like, son, you got to come with me. Get in my truck. And so we drove. And he's like, when I first started ministry, I was praying to God. God, will you provide for this month's rent of $1,000? God, I don't know how we're going to make ends meet. How we're going to do this stuff. And we did every single week. He said, you think that we've arrived now? No, it's God. How in the world are we going to make payroll this month of millions of dollars? God, how are we going to do this project for $30 million? God, you've called us to do this. How are we? It's always about trusting and believing God for that next step. It's always about moving. You're never in a spot where, God, you're, this is where you've got me. I've made it, right? It's always trusting and believing God for that next step, that next step, and then you advance, and then you advance. But some people are fine not advancing because why? We're okay. Our needs are met. 
It's the same thing with healing or miracles. I, I can believe God and weep at the altar when I get cancer and I've got a couple months to live. But for a headache, I could live with that. Right? I, I could figure it out. I mean, I'm sure I've got some back pain. And so I, it's manageable. So I don't really need to pray through it. I don't really need to test my faith. It's the same with finances, God. Uh, I really need you to come through in here. We're struggling with this, but I could also look at another credit card. I could maybe also look at, and until it's that spot where you're okay to move on to something better. You're okay to get past that, well, I'm all right right now, and you push into what God has for you, that promised land, that spot of great. So don't be content with where you're at as a church, as a family, anything. Your family depends on you. So moving forward, the second thing that will stop revival or stop you from advancing into your promised land, because revival through the country, praise God. Revival in your heart, praise God. Right? Revival starts right here. A revival is an outpouring of what you're experiencing with God to everybody around you. And when you get that, watch what happens in the next few weeks after people start leaving that area and going back to where they are. Watch it spread. Why? Because it's an outpouring of what is on your heart. The second thing that will stop revival is a second voice. There's always a second voice. So every single time that God tells you to do something and calls you to do something, a second voice comes. What does that look like? That looks like Jesus telling his disciples, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to pay for the sins of the world. I'm going to go to my father. This is what's going to happen. And Peter says, no, Lord, this shall never happen. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because it's not Peter talking. It's that second voice. It's the same thing with Abraham when God says, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to expand you. I'm going to take you. You're going to go into this new country, but don't take anybody with you. And the second voice comes and says, Lot is going to be profitable for you. You're going to want to bring Lot. He's helpful for what you're doing. And because of that second voice, it ends up splitting half of what was supposed to be Abraham's and Lot taking half of it and going one way. Don't compromise with the second voice. The second voice is going to come to you. Whenever God says, hey, I've got your family in the palm of my hands. I'm going to restore your family. I'm going to bring your kids back to me. The second voice says, man, this is a lost generation. They're never going to come to you. The, the, you get a choice on what you believe now. The first voice or the second voice. There will always be a second voice. Same thing with Jesus. Jesus was there and the sky opens up and says, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. Why is being baptized? The second voice in the desert, if you are the son of God, you get to choose what you believe or not. But that second voice is always going to come. But here's what I love about it. You ever look through scripture and you see, uh, like Luke, in the book of Luke, uh, Jesus says stuff like, physician, go heal yourself. Why? He's saying physician because Luke's a doctor. He's relating to Luke. Peter, James, and John, he's always talking about being fishers of men. Go and cast your nets. Why? They're fishermen. He's relating straight to them. The woman at the well, he talks to her about living water when it says that she goes to the well every day. Why? Because he's relating with something that she'll understand. God is a personal God. 
He's not just a God that is over this church, over this country, over the, all Christians. He's a personal God for you alone. Which means he has a personal plan for just you that only you could fulfill. In this church, in your family, in your workplace, there's, he's a personal God that only, he's got something that only you can do. So you need to find out what that is. But in that same way, the devil knows how to come at you in a way that only you are affected by. I know I had one intern. You guys probably met him here, Jimmy. Um, he was uh, here for the first two years. And um, you could not affect him with finances. In fact, anytime he got money, he gave it away to the first person he saw. <laughs> so he never was like, God, how am I going to get this? Whoa, I can't afford this. Why? Because as soon as he got it, he gave it to the first homeless person he found. He gave it to the first whatever. He just gave, gave. It was his heart. The devil could never attack him in finances because he didn't have any, <laughs> right? But for me, he could come at me and say, how are you going to make these events work? How are you going to pay your bills this week? Like, there's COVID going on. How are you going to even make it as if? He could come at me with my finance because he knows me. Uh, it's the same thing like in uh, December, I have a little hobby farm. And uh, I knew revival was coming. I knew um, I had to get in my head space. And uh, all of a sudden, all of my chickens and birds started to die. Just wiped out. And I'm like, what in the world is this? And uh, people were talking about bird flu. They are talking, there's different things that were happening. Um, we could go into a whole other message on conspiracy theories, but <laughs> I won't. But it, it made me like go in a spot of like, what is happening, God? And just coming down and the same thing, a, another lady called me. She's like, every time I feel victory, I start to go and I start to win in life. My husband comes at me and he's just like, why are you doing things this way? And why are you doing things that way? Well, it's a second voice. It's the devil can't get at you sometimes, so he'll go to the next closest thing to you. He'll, he'll come at you in a way that's only, you remember the book of Job? When Job was there, all, everything he had lost. And then Job says this one important thing. He says, the very thing that I'd feared the most has happened to me. The devil knows how to get at you. He's going to come at you and try to tempt you and get you out of the great, get you out of the promised land, but it's going to be a different way than he's going to come at me. Why? Because we all deal with different things. Our emotions are different. We're, we put thing, we're all on a different spot. So he's going to come at you. So realizing that, you want to get into the place where God has you, that promised land, but realize that the enemy is, is going to come at you personally. And then we think, well, what is God trying to show me? How to grow up. <laughs> He's trying to get you to pray. God's not trying to show you anything through that. The devil's attacking you. Right? So fight back. And, and when you start to realize this, because God has revival coming through the country, revival for this church, revival for this youth group, and if you're going to look and say, what is that church doing that's working? You're going to miss it. Because let me tell you, what works in New York City doesn't work in Houston. Spring, Texas. I'll end with this. I, got, uh, I get the privilege to preach um, lots of Sundays out of the year. And it's, it's awesome. And I, I love to do it. But people are so different around the country <laughs> and so different just around different denominations, different states, different cities. And in November, I, uh, 
got to preach in small town America with a town of probably 300. And guess how many people go to the church? 300. <laughs> and then I went to New York City and I got to preach the next week. And that messed me up. <laughs> it really did. I was there in New York City preaching. It was powerful. It was great. But I come in and I start to preach. Met the pastor. Went downtown. Uh, saw the sights. And I'm preaching. And over here is a, a gay couple sitting in the front cuddling and saying amen. And I'm like, I'm from northern Minnesota. That doesn't happen. <laughs> and there's another couple over here, lesbian couple, another couple back here. Then I look, there's a few uh, drug dealers here, people strung out, a couple people that I know are drunk. Um, you know, there's some F, uh, NFL uh, players that were in there, some different politicians, some different uh, ex-witches. There are some witches that were there. And I'm preaching, I'm like, God, what am I doing here? This isn't right. Look at all these sinners, Lord. What in the world is happening? Why are they in the church? And I felt the movie. <laughs> Nobody wants them here. Why are they? They're different than us, Lord. And they started to do worship. And those people began to come forward and weep at the altars. <laughs> Gay couples holding hands, crying out for God at the altars. I know in, this is making you uncomfortable. I love it. And I'm thinking like, God, let's get them. Tell them they're wrong. Let's attack them. Get them. And I talked to the pastor and I said, what in the world's happening? Like he said, a lot of our uh, leadership team came out of that lifestyle. A lot of our, uh, one of our head ladies, she was a, a, a wicked mother, uh, had all these, these witches underneath her. Um, all this stuff was happening. And he said, if I go and tell that couple there that, what they're doing is wrong and sin. I'll never see them in my church again. He said, if I love on them within two to three months, the Holy Spirit will mess them up. And they'll be, he's like, this, this gal right here was on my leadership. She was a lesbian couple here for two years. And the Lord, Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, you're not that way. I love you. And she said, I'm not that way. And now her and her ex-wife are in the church believing for husbands. <laughs> The Holy Spirit knows better than I do. I could sit there and say, that's wrong. Or I can say, I love you. God loves you. And eventually, they'll say, I don't want to do. I want to get as close as I can to God, which means I don't want anything to do with this lifestyle anymore. I want to get as close as I can to God. This was garbage. This had nothing for me. This was a dead end. This was sin, and I want out of it now. And I seen it. I talked to the, the witch mother, and she said this to me. She said, she said, I just love people so much. She said, I talk to the devil every single day of my life. I know his voice clearly. And then when God talks to you, it will mess you up because it's nothing but love in his voice. She said, I've never heard love speaking like that from the devil. And she, what had happened is, I don't want to scare you or weird you out. Or maybe I do. But I said, how did you get saved? And it was three of her, <laughs> three of her gals that were witches came to the church to make a curse on the church. The pastor hugged him, 
loved him, said, we love you at this church, and I need you here. We're better church with you here. And they came. And they came, and after a couple months, they said, we want nothing to do with witchcraft. We want Jesus. <laughs> and I'm looking at this like, this is different. <laughs> and what happened is, these girls then came to him a couple months later, and they said, we want all of Jesus. We don't want anything of this anymore. And he's like, what does that mean? He said, we were witches. And he's like, oh, well, welcome to the church, right? He said this, we've got a whole bunch of witchcraft stuff at our house that we don't want in our house, but we can't get rid of it because we took an oath and a curse and we pledged to the devil that if we get rid of it, our house and everything we have will burn. And he said, okay, well, let me come with the deacons. They went over in the van. They got all the girls, their families. They went to the houses. They collected everything. They brought it in the van. They went to the pastor's house, and they started a bonfire. And he said, I'm not a superstitious guy. I'm not super spiritual or supernatural, anything like that. But he said, those books wouldn't burn. He said, then one of their gold statues started to lift out of the the fireplace, and I had to push it down with a shovel. All the girls screamed and ran to the house. He said, I'm trying not to freak out, but speaking in tongues, and everything eventually burnt down. And he said it was the most horrific, exciting, terrifying, I love God, <laughs> that was scary, <laughs> kind of a moment that I've ever been through. And he said this, he said, I went into the house, I started making myself a sandwich after it was all over, talking to my wife, and she said this, did you did you wash your hands? And he said, no, I guess I got a little witch in my mouth. And he said, I woke up in the morning, I couldn't speak. And he was trying to talk, he was trying to talk. He's writing down stuff to his wife. He couldn't speak. He realized what he had said, that he had a little witch in his mouth. And he said, I began to pray in the spirit and pray in the spirit until my mouth opened up. And then he said, as soon as that happened, I began to reverse that curse and rebuke the devil and rebuke what he was trying to do. And I began to speak life. And he said, I rebuke the curse. But what I didn't remember was the curse was that all those girls' houses were going to burn down. And that day, the den mother's house burnt down. <laughs> all of her stuff. So when I, she's telling me the story, she said, I was sitting there and I had treasure chest of money from politicians that helped, I helped win elections from different people of influence that I helped get into positions by cursing other people. All this stuff, I had chest, and it all burned down that day. And as I'm sitting there on the lawn, the girls came up to me and told me what happened, and I gave my life to Jesus. <laughs> and she's a leader in the church. Now, we can sit back and say, that's weird. But let me tell you, if revival happens, you're going to get weird. You're going to get people that you don't want sitting next to you, sitting next to you. And it, you're going to have to decide if you're going to love on them or say that this is our church, this is our club. Hey, we never did things this way before. This is uncomfortable for me. It's uncomfortable when people start flooding in here that smell different, they look different, they dress different. But realize, to get from that good to great, that's what it takes. It takes putting down our traditions that aren't biblical to say, God, what do you want to do right now? Not this is how we've always done things, but God, what do you want to do in this season? Because I'm telling you, God, don't remember those former things, but God is going to do a new thing. And guess what? I believe the young lions are coming, the younger generation is coming, but here's what they need is an older generation. They need the 
the old lines just say, this is how to walk. This is how to do things. If you push them aside and say, you're a bit different, you're going to lose them. If you say, get in here, I love you. You may be a little bit weird. <laughs> but I love you. You may not know which bathroom to use at the moment. <laughs> but I love you. And you start to love on these young people. Because really, this younger generations, they're looking for love. They're looking for acceptance. They're looking for just somebody that cares, and they don't know where it's at. They can flood through the church, but if you don't give it to them, they're going to go back to the world. Because the world will love on them, tell them everything that they are, and will miss a whole generation. Amen? Can we stand up for a moment? I just want to pray really quick over this church. I hope that you guys are stirred up. In the name of Jesus, God, I thank you for this church. I bless this church. God, I bless every person in here. God, maybe they've been struggling with different stuff in their family. Maybe they've been uh, getting attacked by the enemy in a personal way. God, but right now, I just speak life into this church, into this body. In the name of Jesus, God, I declare victory. I declare revival. I declare a move of your Holy Spirit like never before. God, and I declare that you just break people's hearts for the lost. Maybe there's a family member right now. We just call them forth in the name of Jesus. That the prodigal son would come home. Maybe you're here and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It is simple. It says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And you will be saved. So if that's you, just say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross. And thank you for raising again for me. Thank you for giving me your life and I give you mine. In Jesus' name. And then get connected with this church. The easiest thing in life is salvation. God made it so simple believe and receive. The hardest part in life is Romans 12 too, to renew your mind. We've got so many Christians today thinking like the world because they haven't renewed their mind. So many Christians today getting attacked by the devil and you know just sideswipe because they haven't renewed their mind to what the word says. God I pray right now if there is uh, anything hurting in your body put your hand on your body right now Wherever it is, I declare healing in the name of Jesus. Every ache or pain has to go right now in the name of Jesus. We command healing in the room. Holy Spirit, move right now. I command all healing right now on every person. We bind healing to this congregation right now. No sickness or plague shall come near you in Jesus' name. I declare finances in the name of Jesus. If you've been struggling in your finances right now, I declare increase. May God give you witty ideas, creative ideas. Maybe there be promotions and raises in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. People ask me if I'm a prosperity preacher. I say no. I'm the blessings of Abraham preacher, which are far beyond prosperity. <laughs> Thank you, God. Prosperity is not money, money cometh. God, I'm going to go lay on my couch and watch Netflix while you send me a lottery ticket. Prosperity is God increases the work of your hands. 
What are you touching? What are you doing? He's going to advance you in those areas. He's going to bless you. He's going to give you witty ideas. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. Why can't he give you a million dollar idea? In Jesus' name. God, I just bless this church, God. I speak life over the pastors in Jesus' name. Pastor Scott, why he's gone to. Pastor Albert. Pastor John. John East, God, we just speak life in the name of Jesus. God, that you'd give them witty ideas for this church. God, in the name of Jesus, you would give them direction and clarity on what to do in this next season, Father. That your spirit would move through this place. That the doors would be lined up out the back because people need a miracle touch from you, God. And they know where to come. In Jesus' name. Amen. But thank you guys so much for letting me be here.